On the Money Beat podcast today, BlackRock is cutting fees on some of their ETFs. It is the latest sign of big changes within the fund management industry. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Money Beat Podcast. Paul and Stephen here in the studio. And we are joined today by our dear friends Sarah Krauss and Jason Zweig. Good to see you both. The second day in a row that Sarah Krauss for Sarah, appeared. Yes, yeah. the second day in a row for Sarah. I mean, you, for you, you, used to, you used to think of money managers as kind of, you know, boring and not that exciting. No way. They're all but the not, No, I know. That's what I mean. And that's why we're here talking about it. All the rage. And that's why we had to have him. So yesterday we were talking about, as you all recall, of course, uh, we're talking about Genesis Capital and Henderson Group and their type and what it means for the industry. And because some people, grosser, just are won't so prolific, working. won't yeah. stop working. Sarah Krauss out with another story. Uh, BlackRock cuts ETF fees. And Jason Zweig, everyone, you, you folks all know Jason, noted author, prolific columnist here at The Journal, who is also here to opine on this topic and on the, the industry. Uh, Sarah, walk us through what BlackRock is doing and, and why it matters. Sure. So um, what BlackRock did today is cut fees on 15 of its ETFs. So that's in fact, about $216 billion in assets. And these are really the sort of plain vanilla core type exposures. So tracking the S&P 500, tracking the U.S. Barclays Ag. Um, and this is just another example of fees on passive index tracking funds tumbling towards zero. I mean, um, some of these fees are down to as low as three basis points, four basis points. So it's just a further reduction in fees for investors. And they're following the moves of like some of their rivals, right? Yeah, this is something. I mean, they're they're not the first. They won't be the last. This is something that's been happening over the last several years among the large passive providers, where it's really a scale game, and you want to knock the fees down. And the the good news for investors is it's more money in their pocket. So I guess the the obvious question is: Yesterday we were on talking about the Henderson Janus deal and talking about all the struggles sort of facing the active managers. How does that play in? How does this news sort of play into that? Um, and these those themes. I mean, that's this is the pressure point. This is the source of pressure on active managers. Money is flowing out of actively managed funds into passive funds. Passive funds are increasingly knocking down their fees, making them even more attractive to investors. Um, I think yesterday was a story of active managers trying to strategize into how to how to broaden and get bigger to to stay competitive. Today, this is looking at what passive managers are doing to gain even more market market uh, share and, and keep that momentum going. And, but BlackRock is not just passive, or, or um, not just passive management, right? I mean, no, they do yeah. offer all kinds of funds, and that's right. that's part of what's at play here too. Um, executives there have said if investors use these passive funds, they are more likely to buy other types of ETFs, index funds, or even actively managed funds, which the firm also does sell. Yeah, and is that why? Because I was one of the questions I was wondering is is how much revenue are they giving up by cutting these fees, and and how do they make that up? So when they started in 2012, I think there was some concern of, oh, are they giving up revenue just to get people in the door? And I think what they found is that it does indeed actually, it was a net gain in revenue for them. Um, so they are projecting revenue growth on the back of that as money floods in. So it's, it's, again, that scale game as more money comes in. There's not necessarily a revenue loss if that keeps pace. And one of the things that they're trying to do with this is actually take on uh, the world's largest ETF, um, State Street Global Advisors, Spider, um, S&P Tracker, um, which for years has been the sort of dominant player, and iShares is saying we want our S&P um, stock fund to, to get there instead and, and overtake it. 
So this is almost like a it's like a loss leader. It's like, you know, you put something on sale and stick it at the front door to get people in. It's something that has worked in, in selling other types of funds for them so far. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I want to get Jason's wife's take on this. I want to bring Jason in. Uh, what do you what do you make of this this whole landscape, Jason? I mean, certainly from uh, a point of view inve- of investors, what it means for investors, but what, what it means for the industry as well. Well, I think um, the, I guess the real question, Paul, is if if you are an active fund manager, is is this just sort of a slow death march uh, for the rest of your career, or is there anything you can do to counteract it? And I think for active management firms, of whom there still are many. In fact, the fascinating thing is in 1992, when I first uh, started writing about mutual funds, there were about 600 companies advising mutual funds in the U.S. How many do you think there are now? I'm going to guess more. Just by the way you phrased that, yeah, I'm there's guess a, more. I believe there's over 700 yeah. now. So you have these trends going in the opposite direction. You have more and more people still working in a field that's under more and more competitive pressure from fees. And I think fund managers are finally going to have to bite the bullet and ask themselves, you know, what is our value proposition? Do we just sit on these assets and let the cash register go ka-ching even though we're not really adding value for our clients or do we concentrate and focus on areas of the market where we think we really can add some value it's a lot uh, easier said than done but I think ultimately the firms that really look themselves in the mirror and try to figure out what they're good at other than gathering assets are the ones that will survive and how is that affected by – and Sarah, this is a big point in your story is that part of this is because of new rules that have come in about how brokers have to operate. They have to operate under what's called a fiduciary rule, which means they have to put their client's interests ahead of their own interests. And and that's a new thing for these fund managers, right? Uh, how does that – and personally, I don't see how that's po- not possibly a good thing, but you know, I'm very naive. Uh, I mean – how is that changing what BlackRock is doing? How is that changing what, what these uh, managers, fund managers are doing? Well, I think uh, you're, you're referring, Paul, to the, to the Department of Labor rule that came out uh, earlier this year in April, I believe. And that requires brokers who are advising their clients on um, retirement assets in, in IRAs to act in their client's best interest for the first time. And there's an implicit, although not explicit, requirement in the rule that (coughs) fees have to be part of that equation, that in determining whether an investment recommendation is in your client's best interest, you have to ask how much it's going to cost. And index funds have sort of an automatic advantage in that calculus. I mean, they're the cheapest thing out there. And certainly, if anybody had said to me back in 1992 that someday you could get your money managed for three hundredths of a percentage point, I would have assumed they were, you know, smoking dope. (laughs) I mean, as Larry Fink told us in this piece, he feels like this Labor Department rule will have as profound of an impact on the wealth management industry as Dodd-Frank 
has had on banks. Um, so that sort of puts the scale of this in context. It's something that is big, that is working its way through the fund management industry. Brokers have already started to cut the number of funds or look at the number of funds that they'll actually sell. Um, they've changed various pricing structures that have been in place for a long time. So the the financial services industry at large is trying to get its arms around this. And I think this is the sort of winners and losers trying to, to find their places and how that will all shake yeah. out. Let's uh, Let's take a break. Uh, we have this important message, and we're going to come back with a little bit more of this. Sarah Krause, Jason Live <coughs> on the other side. What if AI could help your business deliver mission-critical outcomes with speed? With IBM Consulting, your business can design, build, and scale trusted AI using Watson X and modernize the way you work to accelerate real impact. Let's create AI that transforms your business. Learn more at ibm.com slash consulting. IBM. Let's create. WSJ Podcasts, now available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and the Google Play Music app. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. Welcome back to the Money Beat Podcast in the studio with Sarah Krauss and Jason Zweig talking about fund managers changing environment for people who manage your money and how do they best do that. Uh, so, Sarah, our newspaper is obviously your story about BlackRock cutting their fees for some of their ETFs. And, you know, I, I wondered because it kind of seems ostensibly like, well, there's this new rule in place and... They are, you know, this new fiduciary rule, and because of that, they're cutting their fees. But I'm wondering, is it is it about rules being put in place, or is it just about the sort of competitive environment that's out there? And they're just kind of using the rules almost as an excuse to try to take some market share. I think it's both. I mean, before the final version of the DOL rule came into place or, or was unveiled, there was already pressure on the industry to cut fees. That's something we've seen Fidelity cut fees even this summer, um, Charles Schwab, BlackRock. And, and a lot of this stems from the sort of number one competitor in the index space, which is Vanguard. I mean, BlackRock's iShares business is the largest ETF business in the world. But Vanguard, just sort of the index pioneer, is that looming presence um, that has, and they've been sucking up assets at a clip. Um, and that's what everyone is trying to sort of um, compete with and, and where a lot of this price movement is coming from is aiming to match their ultra low fees. And they're able to offer those fees by nature of their structure, which is they're owned by their funds, which are owned by their shareholders. And so as they gain scale, the fees automatically drop. Um, so you've seen other asset managers try to combat that by undercutting even where their price points are. What's sort of interesting, too, is BlackRock's very, you know, sort of explicit in saying that we're going after the Spider S&P ETF and trying to beat it in terms of the amount of assets that it has under management. But that's a big gap right now, over $100 million, billion. Yeah, it's no small feat. And, and I think to a degree they're playing the long game. They're trying to increase this core, sort of the plain vanilla exposure segment from about $300 billion globally today to a trillion in the next 10 years. So they have big ambitions. Um, but I do think that you see at large fund companies getting a little more punchy about their rivals. Fidelity's ads right now say the word Vanguard. They say our fees are lower than Vanguard's. Everyone sit up and look. And with BlackRock on this one, they're saying we're coming for you, Spider. So I think you see across the industry people are getting a little more vocal on what their ambitions are here. One of the things, we had a post earlier this week, and I, I've actually thought it was uh, fairly interesting. When you look at it, 
mutual funds ownership of U.S. stocks still stands at I think they have twenty four percent. Well, ETFs are only about five percent. How do you see that? Is that going to change dramatically over the next decade? I think it's going to change enormously, Steve. And uh, you know the 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 single biggest advantage that passive funds have uh, from this point onward is that they're tr- essentially offering people the ability to have their money managed for nothing. I mean, if somebody's managing your money for three hundredths of a percentage point or four hundredths of a percentage point, it's essentially free. So the public uh, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 40 years ago, when index funds first started, uh, thought it was sort of a marginal pricing game. It was kind of like, well, my active fund manager charges me 1%. The index fund charges half a percent. So my active manager only has to do half a percentage point better. And then I sort of break even. And if he does better than that, I come out ahead. But that comparison is out the window now because people are not stupid. Investors are smart. And they realize, well, with passive funds, I can essentially get my money managed for free if I stick to core exposures and I don't get too fancy. And um, it's going to be very hard for active managers to compete against something that's free. Hmm. You know, it, it, as, as we're sitting here talking, it kind of strikes me that it almost seems like this is the this is the kind of business model that you saw at Walmart for years and you've seen at Amazon for years, which is cut costs to the bone and make it up on volume. And I'm wondering... I mean, that's clearly what's going on. But, I mean, is it – why – my question is why is it going on in the, the mutual fund industry? Is it, is it a technology issue? Is it the way the market is structured? I mean, why are they able to offer these services? And this is not, you know, the first time this question has been raised. It's just the first time I'm raising it. So hopefully a couple of you reader, listeners out there also are saying, yeah, I never thought about that. So I'm not the only one. But, you know, why is this happening now? Why are these costs getting so low? Well, Sarah, maybe I can jump in first. I think I think there's a couple things at work, Paul. One is that if you are BlackRock um, or any number of other of the big uh, index fund managers, for that matter, uh, you can offer these core front core funds for next to nothing because you also make tons of money on the funds that are not the core exposures. So, you know, you've got a Japan fund, you've got a you know, a turkey fund, you've got minimum volatility funds, you've got all these other investment products that charge much higher fees, even though they're nominally passive. And so your core funds cost the investors next to nothing. They also cost you next to nothing to run. Um, And um, you're able to make money on them at very, very low fees. But more importantly, you get the assets in the door so that you can make a ton of money on everything that isn't core. Yeah, I mean, the the fees on BlackRock, I think it only covers 18% of their assets, right? Their uh, iShares assets, yeah. 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 So, I mean, it, it's it's one small-ish piece of the iShares franchise. Um, in the grand scheme of BlackRock's nearly $5 trillion in assets, it's certainly a small piece. But as Jason said, once you have a relationship with folks, once you are sort of an anchor of their portfolio in some way, shape, or form, it does open the door to other conversations. And I think that's a big part of this. 
Girls are looking at each other and shaking our, you know, like, uh, yeah. I mean, is there anything else that we should that we should know, or is there anything else we we missed? I don't think this will be the last fee cut that we see this year, even. Really, not even this year. Well, I guess that that actually is a question. How how much lower? I mean, you look at what you wrote here. You know, the the fee is what zero point zero three or four percentage, whatever. Mm-hmm. How I mean, how much lower can you cut costs? I mean. You can't have uh, negative costs, can you? Negative fees. I know you have negative rates. I mean, these guys can't go below zero, can they? They'll pay you to give them money to manage? That's a really interesting question, Steve. Um, uh, Paul, uh, you know, Sarah and I did a story in January on the race to zero in fees. And um, we couldn't find anybody who said they would go to zero or below. Although, to be honest, I think when an ETF gets big enough, it probably could charge, it probably could pay you to invest in it. It could probably pay you one one hundredth of a percentage point. Yeah. um, Because they're making money in other ways. Mm hmm. Uh, I don't think it'll happen. But boy, wouldn't that be interesting? But did you think (laughs) three basis points would happen? No. (laughs) I mean, you you ever want to have like. Something to you know put on the placard outside the storefront, right? You know, we will pay you. Well, you give know, us your money. And, and and this reminds me, um, Paul. You know, there there is there's at least one in the U.S. There's at least one ETF that charges nothing. There is, and there are several in Europe that charge nothing. Hmm. Um, one of the ETFs from Cambria, which is a small uh, ETF company in California. Uh, has no management fee and has stated it w- it will not charge any management fee in the future. So zero isn't just theoretically possible. It's been done. And frankly, you know, an, a negative fee would be a pretty good marketing come on right. now that we think of it. Yeah. All right. Well, hey. Start uh, with you, Paul. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yesterday, Paul wanted There's to set a, up his own fund. Now, uh, right, right. I'm setting up my own. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Pro tip: uh, charge nothing. All right, yeah. everyone. Jason Zweig, Sarah Krauss. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening, folks. We'll catch up with you very soon. Share our shows with your friends. Like us at facebook.com/slash/wsjpodcasts.